Bibles to Psalm number 19. Psalm number 19. For a little while, let's consider the scriptures as our final authority. Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The scriptures, our final authority. In a few days, most of the nation is going to be very excited about the annual Halloween day. But for us that are Christians, more important for us, October 31st is the Reformation Day. It is the day that several hundred years ago, Martin Luther made his stand by nailing 95 points of interest or 95 theses on the door of the church at Wittenberg and said all of these things need to be discussed. He had written many things that the Roman church found unpleasant. He had been deemed unorthodox, was soon to be excommunicated from the church, and they brought Mr. Luther one day before the council of that Roman church, and they said, will you renounce all of these writings that are here before this great assembly? Mr. Luther then declared to all of the people that I will not and cannot recant what I have stated because you have not shown me anything in these writings that are unscriptural. He said, my conscience is held captive to the word of God. That's an important thing. Because he's saying that even though there are people that have positions of power, and even though they have titles, the final authority for his life was scripture. I hope that's something we all can say. When we use the word authority, we need to add a definition. Authority is the power or right to give commands or to enforce obedience. It is also the power to make the final decision. Such power as can be delegated to other people. An authoritative person is someone who imposes standards or some kinds of rules upon people to curve behavior. Because the whole point of authority is to curtail confusion, disorder. You have to have some kind of orderliness in the world when it comes to rules and regulations. Even Romans says in chapter 4, verse 15, it says, where there is no law, there's no transgression. If you don't have a rule that says you should not steal, then there's nothing that causes people to believe that theft is a wrong thing. Where there is no right and wrong, there can be no conviction about having done what is appropriate or inappropriate. The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says the law was not made for the righteous, but for the ungodly, for the disobedient, for the sinners. There's not a law in the books that says you shouldn't murder because of people like you. It's because of people that don't honor God. That's why the rule is there. That's why the law has been placed in the legislation. Well, in terms of 
the scripture as our authority, let's approach it from this vantage point. Most people today enjoy being in positions of power, but they do not enjoy being submitted to someone who's in authority. And when God gives power to someone, or when a job, or employer, someone entrusts you with power, which essentially is influence, then you have to do whatever you can to handle it appropriately. Your time, your money, resources. Any perception of individual defiance in your life can lead to rebellion in someone else's life. Case in point. Cain, who murdered his brother Abel and committed the first murder in the Bible, I'm sure he knew of his mother and father's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. And he had to understand that we're on the outside now because of something they chose to do. Well, the knowledge of their defiant act was certainly something that spurred on the fact that he went on and murdered his own brother. The scripture says Cain was of that wicked one. There was something in him that was wrong, something in him that was perverse. And it spawned because of the fact that mom and dad had sinned. Sometimes you have to be careful about what you say to your peers, to your friends, about your life, about your past. How many parents have had this happen once the kids have gotten older and the kids have gone down a road that the parents are not particularly pleased with and the kids say, well, why are you judging me? You and dad did it. You lived together before you were married. Now you're getting on me about it. One defiant act leads to another sometimes. People have heard me tell stories of how mischievous I was as a child and said, well, look at all the things you did. I said, yes, of course. I was raised in an ungodly home. I was a heathen. I was a sinner. I was an idiot. What's your excuse? Having been raised to know scripture and to know the word of God, is the Bible the final authority in your life? Well, order begins in Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. He added order in the beginning. The Spirit of God was moving upon the face of the deep. The Lord finally spoke and said, let there be light. Now, since all creation comes from the hand of God, then all the creation is subject to God. There's no place on this earth you can go where you won't find that God's power works. If all of us could become astronauts and orbit the moon, you'd find that God operates up there in that astronaut's ship, just like he does down here on planet Earth. If each one of us could take a ride in a submarine and go several miles down in the depths of the sea, I can promise you, you'll find that the name of Jesus works there too. And if you just simply climb up into somebody's treehouse, or if you take a ride on an airplane, you're 30,000 feet up in the sky, you'll find that God is there too. Everything is subject to the name of God, to the power of God, and this authority is given to the believer. And this being the case, we have to understand that authority can be given, but yet somebody at the same time can still disregard it. Now, I know this happened in my home, and I'm sure it may have happened once or twice in yours. If you've got siblings, then you know sometimes mom and dad, they'll leave, and they'll say to the oldest one, okay, you're in charge, and say it in front of everybody, you're in charge. This person's in charge. We're leaving, we'll be back in a couple hours. I'm expecting you to make sure don't nobody get into any mischief. 
Then no sooner mom and dad pull it, get in that car, pull out the driveway. I mean, that kid is running around saying to everybody, you know dad and mom left me in charge. You can't be doing that. You cannot be. Get off of that couch. You know you can't be jumping up and down on the couch and the kid's jumping up and down on the couch. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Up and down on the couch, up and down on the couch. And this goes on right up until about 10 minutes before mom and dad gets home. Well, it didn't matter that the older sibling had the authority delegated to them. They didn't have the power to enforce the authority. And in the end, when mom and dad comes home, then people begin to act a little bit better because of the presence of the one who could actually enforce obedience. Adam and Eve did what was right in the Garden of Eden as long as they sensed the presence of him that walked with them in the cool of the evening in the garden. But when the devil came to them and they walked over to the tree that the Lord said, you're not supposed to, you know, eat from lest you die. It's at that point they did not sense the presence of God. They thought they could get away with it. They began to devour the fruit. Suddenly they were naked and exposed and ashamed. Order began in Genesis 1. <clears throat> Order continued in the Garden of Eden. God said, because you brought disorderly conduct here, you've got to leave the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what happened. There's consequences to all disobedience. Well, if that is the case, when we have all of this in Scripture, the record of these things, we have to ask another question. How did we receive our Bible? Where did it come from? 2 Peter chapter 1 speaks to us clearly about this. The Bible says the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is not a book of legends, Peter says. It's not a book of fairy tales and myths. This isn't like Aesop's fables. The animals don't talk to people and teach us moral lessons in the Bible. Aside from the occasion where the donkey spoke to Balaam. In the Bible we have... The record of God's redemption from Genesis going straight out through Revelation and certain individuals as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost declared the word of the Lord and God moved them to write these things down. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses penned a lot of that. Certainly he didn't pen his death. The scripture does go on to tell us that later Joshua himself wrote the words of the Lord in a book. Preserved the words. The scripture says that God's words are perfect, God's words are pure, and we know from Psalms that God's words have been preserved. How important is the Bible to you and to me? It's so important that God has left a record, a transaction of his deeds of redemption here for every generation. Don't allow anybody to cause you to disbelieve the Bible. If you turn on the National Geographic channel, if you listen to the History channel, and they've got someone on there doing everything they can to cause you to disbelieve that this book is divinely inspired, but it's nothing more than a human book written by men who were superstitious and had to have something to believe in, just hit the delete button and don't pay attention to that. Let this book be the final authority in your life. Scripture says it's a guide, a compass, a lamp unto our feet. Now, David, of all people, was in a good place to speak of the characteristics of God in Psalm number 19. David was the kind of guy who was devout and loved God. Scripture says that 
On one occasion, he was sent to take some food to his brethren, his brothers who were in the battle against the Philistines. It says when he got there, he noticed that there was a big tall gentleman down in the valley screaming up to the people on the hillside saying, give me somebody to fight with. The Israelite people were trembling. They said, I don't want to go down in that valley and fight that man. That Goliath, he's a warrior. His fame is known abroad. I, <clears throat> I don't want to be the one that has to go against him. He'll turn around and, and, and kill me and allow the birds of the air to devour my flesh. They didn't want to go down there. But I love what David said. How is it that an uncircumcised Philistine like him can open up his mouth against the living God and somebody like you who have a covenant with God and not down there stomping the daylights out of him? How is that happening right now? And when it was all over, David went down there and took care of Goliath without a problem at all. The young man had audacity and he had trust in God. But where did that trust come from? I mean, the only Bible, the only scriptures he would have had would have been Genesis through Joshua. And then the oral transmission of the tales and the stories from the, the time of the judges. That's all he had. But what little bit he had, he was devout in his faith and he trusted God. You've got an entire Bible, 66 books, 70 if you count Psalms as five books. You really believe God? God talks to you. This man, David, was a descendant of Boaz and Ruth. He was raised in a home where God was revered and the word of God was taken seriously. Undoubtedly, he knew the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and how God brought their paths together. Providentially, divinely led them to places where they could connect with one another. And the Lord preserved the seed of Boaz and Ruth. And David is the great-great-grandchild of all of that because of the handiwork of God. I'm sure David heard those stories and he believed God can do anything. Yeah, he can do anything. He heard the stories of the Hittites. He heard the stories of the Canaanites. He knew some of the tales of the Egyptians. He had heard about some of the other religions around the world. But this man kept his faith intact. When it came to God, that's David, a man called someone after God's own heart. Well, look at David's conception of God and of his creation in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The heavens do speak, according to David. Now this morning, I got up and went down to the church in Red Cloud about 6.30 in the morning. Still dark. Pulled up in the parking lot, opened up that door, stood outside, looked straight up in the sky and saw stars everywhere. It's a beautiful morning. Air was brisk and cool the way I like it. So I came and just stood out there and I looked and I said, oh my, these twinkling stars. The brilliance of the light. This man, David, said the heavens declare the glory of God. All of the universe proclaims God. And so many people don't hear God's voice. As a little kid, I remember growing up in the city. Sometimes at night, I was in the yard, even though the street lights had come on and everything. Some of my friends and I, we'd lay out on the front grass and just stare right up in the sky and try to count all the stars we could find. You ever try to do that? You start counting the stars and then somebody says something, you turn, look the opposite direction, look back up there, got to start all over because you lost count. 
of where exactly you were the last time. David says to us in verse 2, Day unto day uttered speech, night unto night shows knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. God communicates in all the languages. 6,000 different languages on this planet. 200 or more different nations. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them has he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing like a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, his circuit to the ends of it. There's nothing hidden from the heat thereof. He's saying that every sunrise is like a bridegroom rushing out of his chamber to join himself in, in union to a bride. That's how beautiful the sunrise is every day. The sun bursts over the horizon like somebody that's saying, come on, I'm ready for the marathon. Let's do this. That's what David is saying. God has a long distance mentality. And even though some people complain about how the earth is growing colder or the earth is growing warmer, we don't have to worry because the scripture says here in Psalm 19 that every day and every night, God's creation is talking to people. Talking. Now, the evolutionary theorists and the Marxists and pagan philosophers hate anybody that has this worldview. If you honestly believe, then when you pick up a rose and you look at it and you say, oh, my, the beauty of this rose. No man could ever mix different kinds of paints and come up with a color this beautiful. God is talking to me through creation. If you hold a view like that, I can tell you there's a heathen world out here that will despise you. Our culture is so pagan today that if you were to say to them, I see God in every blade of grass. I can see the handiwork of God in the Grand Canyon. I can see the plan of God when I stand by an ocean side and I watch how the waters only come so far because the prophet said that it's God that sets the borders of the oceans and the waters come in so far and go back out. If you say that to people that are pagan, they will look at you as if you're some superstitious fanatic. Let me tell you what David said. The heavens declare the glory of God. What's your final authority? You're going to believe what that man on television says to you, that woman in the classroom that doesn't believe in God, or are you going to hold fast to Scripture? So these things are provided as evidence of who God is. I mean, as exquisite as your eyeball is, as unique as you are with your fingerprint, God has made you in such a way that, as the psalmist says in another place, you're fearfully and wonderfully. You're a marvelous creature. You may anger the pastor from time to time, and he may not think you're so marvelous. But you are a pretty marvelous person. You're, you're, you're quite remarkable. Listen to David's language when he describes the word of God. He says that God's word is a law. In verse 7, he says it's a testimony. He says in verse 8, it's, it's comprised of statutes. It's a commandment. Listen to that. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is without defect, without error. That's what he said. There's nothing that comes from God that lacks perfection. That means if, I, if God is perfect, then I'm perfect in being born again. 
My new birth was perfect in the sense there was no flaws in that new birth. The only flaws are in me and in this sin nature. It's in that flesh. It's not in the new birth. The law of the Lord is perfect. Somebody says, you know, the book of God, it has all kinds of errors in it. Let me tell you what David said again. The law of the Lord is perfect. And when the Lord, when he said to people that you're to honor me, not to take my name in vain, that's perfection. He says it converts the soul, transforms the soul. Now, some, <clears throat> some uh, versions will say restores the soul. But the Hebrew word is conversion, transformation. It's, it's a change in a person's life. He takes a sinful soul, transforms it into a righteous soul. As Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll convert you into fishers of men. I will take your life and make it something new. That's not just simply restora uh, restoration. That's transformation. Converting the soul. The testimony of God is sure. That means it's fixed and it's firm. There's no variableness to it. The word of God, which is our final authority, and every generation says the exact same thing. That means that the word of God doesn't change according to the designs and desires of the culture. It doesn't change even though the Supreme Court or Congress or kings and queens across the world say that we no longer hold to these particular views. Testimony of the Lord is sure. It's a firm foundation. Well, what do you do when you run into people who appeal to the Supreme Court as the highest authority? And they say, we have to abide by the laws of the land. Well, you acknowledge that's true. Paul said that we ought to honor the laws of the land so far as those laws do not prohibit us from worshiping our God with freedom. Yeah. So I know that there are laws in this land, unlike in other lands, that Make it very plain that this freedom of worship, I have the right to worship as a Christian. Someone else has the right to worship as a Buddhist. Someone else has the right to be a pagan, an atheist. But they're not going to run into problems with me until they tell me I can't be a Christian and I can't hold a Bible anymore in my home and I can't speak about it publicly. Then they're going to have problems with me because it's God that's given us the ability to trust him and to share the sure testimony of the Lord so that it might convert the souls of other people. And that's what the battle really is about. If we can get the scriptures out of the public forum, we can keep people from being converted to this truth. So let's not talk about the Ten Commandments in school. Let's not talk about Sunday school with those in Head Start or kindergarten. Let's be careful about how we say the pledge of the pledge of allegiance, because in saying that we acknowledge there's some kind of a God and maybe somebody might actually ask a question about God. Scripture says the statutes of the Lord are right. That's even when everybody else is saying the statutes of the Lord are wrong. Sometimes I hear some of those Actors and actresses, I won't call their names, but I've seen them on talk shows and they say things like, you know, the real terrorists are those Christians that believe that Bible literally. Folks, I've never blown up anything. I've never stuck a knife in anybody. I've never chased anybody because I wanted to, to harm them over religion or anything. But yet 
They'll protect the rights of people that want to kill us simply because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says the statutes of the Lord are right, and that's even when the world is saying that the statutes of the Lord are wrong. What's going to be the final authority in your life? Are you going to take a stand for the Lord and say that the commandment of the Lord is pure? That is to say it's clean, it's undefiled, and enlightens the eyes. Notice how he describes God's word. In verse 7, it converts. Verse 7, it makes wise. Verse 8, it causes the heart to rejoice. Verse 8, it enlightens the eyes. Think of that. If you want to be wise, learn scripture. Maybe you've walked in a room before with many different kinds of people, and all of them are of different vocations, and maybe you felt inadequate. You didn't feel like you could keep a conversation with certain people. Folks, learn the Proverbs, learn the Scripture. Scripture says those things will make you wise. We celebrate the wrong kind of heroes, I think. We'll take the country western singer, the actor or actress that doesn't like God, despises the Lord, may be involved with harlotry. We'll take a professor that denounces, that denounces any kind of Christian religion. And very often around this world, they're celebrated as heroes. I'm, I'm appalled at the idea that our young people would find some of these rappers as people that they would try to imitate just because a rapper has been shot nine times and has survived. And young people, they just think, oh my, that's amazing. I want to be just like that. And pretty soon they're dressing like that and they're acting like that and they're talking like that and they're using all of that language and barely can even hold a conversation with somebody because of the, the imitation of the style of, of talk. But the scripture says that the word of the Lord makes us wise. You know who we should celebrate? That, that, that grandma and that grandpa to get up faithfully every day, pull that Bible out and read it. Pray for their kids, their grandkids. That single woman or man that's diligent to work every day faithfully, get there to the job early, stay late, do everything that they need to do in order to be a wonderful role model for other people that are around them. Those are the people we need to celebrate. Yeah, not somebody that's foolish in their unbelief. The activity of the word of God is that it converts and that it makes wise. I want wisdom, so wisdom comes from the scripture. If I want to if I want to grow in wisdom, then I have to read the word of God. So when I walk into a room with different people, I can talk to them about anything. I don't know anything about calculus. I'm not a geologist. I know nothing about astrophysics. But I can get in a room with people that are politicians or anything else, and I can get them on subjects that they're familiar with, and I still can find a way to converse with them because I figured out how to take this book and transform it in conversation where you can still minister to people. Well, Darrell, what line of work are you in? Well, for years I, I've been involved with the law. So we, we do what we can and got to defend folks, you know. Well, Darrell, what, what, what do you do? Well, I'm a, for a lot of years I've been a PA, physician's assistant. Spend a lot of time trying to help people get better, do whatever you can. 
Daryl, what, what, what's your line of work since we're going to ride together on the airplane all this, this way? What do you do? Well, I'm involved with agriculture, you know, like planting, sowing, things like that. You know, before you know it, I've got people believing that I've got a wealthy dad that owns cattle on a thousand hills. And pretty soon, people want to have a conversation with me all about that. Yes. You folks didn't know I knew how to set bones and everything else, did you? Yeah. You'd be surprised what Pastor Darrell can do when he can transform them words. You see. Let me finish up. David had a love for God. David revered God. But we don't want to forget Christ as the son of David. Scripture says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he went into the synagogue as was his custom, and he stood up and he read the scroll of Isaiah. That tells me he esteemed the words of God. If Jesus believed God's words were true, we should be the same way. Jesus said, I do only those things that please my father. You read the Gospels and quote the different books and characters Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. He quoted Genesis often. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He quoted the creation story in the beginning. Did not God make them, male and female? We know that Jesus quoted Daniel. And you see the abomination of desolation. He quoted the story of Lot. Remember Lot's wife. He quoted the story of Noah. He said, as it was in the, in the days of Noah. I could go on and on. He esteemed the words of God. If somebody would have said to Jesus, surely you don't honestly believe these stories were true. Jesus would have said, of course I believe these stories are true. I inspired these folks to write these stories. Scripture says the spirit of Christ was in them. as They began to write and proclaim these things in the lips of the prophets. Well, the Lord esteemed the word of God in such a way we should do the same thing. They said, well, Pastor, do you believe all the stories in that Bible, that the axe head really did float, and that a man threw a stick in the water and the bitter water turned sweet? I believe it. I mean, you honestly believe that there's going to be a period of tribulation in this world where angels are going to be pouring out bowls of wrath into the earth and terrible things are going to break out? I believe it. Do you honestly believe that God rained down Fire and brimstone on cities in the Old Testament. The God of love. I believe it. You mean to tell me you honestly believe that a great fish swallowed Jonah? I do. And I tell you something else. If this book would have said that Jonah swallowed a great fish, I'd be preaching that too. You better believe it. Jesus was reared in a God-fearing home. And since he was raised like that, he believed what mama and daddy told him. Joseph and Mary told him. But he was the beloved son. David was a man after God's own heart, but the Lord said of his son, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That means God was quite happy with a son that believed in him and believed in his words. Folks, if you think about it, if we do not have God's words preserved, in this book, then what is the point of all of this? What is the point of gathering Sunday after Sunday, midweek service after midweek service? What's the point of reading the scriptures to your children, having devotions with them? What's the point of saying grace over your meals if none of this is true? What's the point of having funerals and getting up and talking about people having gone 
to another place that's better. No more in any kind of pain if it's not true. Even Paul said, if all that we have in this world right now is the hope that we have right now, and there's nothing else on the other side of the last breath, Paul said, we are of all men most miserable. Well, folks, I can tell you, I'm laboring, I'm doing everything I can to let people know about God. I'm doing everything I can to drag you into heaven whether you want to go or not. I mean, it doesn't matter. We're doing what we can to preach the gospel and share the word with people. If It means we've got to go and knock on Tina's door and say, look, you get to church now. We're going to get you there. That's exactly what we're going to have to do. And folks, if somebody would have maybe done that to us earlier in life, how different maybe some of our lives would have been. Somebody would have been that concerned about us. Our final authority, the scriptures. Let's stand. Greater love has no man than this, than he that will lay down his life for his friend. I don't have a doubt sometime this week you'll have an opportunity to maybe talk about this. You know, there are a lot of different ways to witness to people. You know, somebody asks you tomorrow morning, <clears throat> how was your weekend? What did you do? So I went to church. I had to work, doing whatever I had to do out in the yard. They say something to you about what you're doing out in the yard, you know. You can say, this time of the year, I really do love. To everything, there's a season. You just slipped in some scripture. They say to you, what did, what did the, at your church, what, what did your pastor talk about? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Well, he was over in Psalm 19, and then he started talking about God's word and talked about it being the final authority in our life and that there shouldn't be anything that's more important or higher than God's word. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things be added. And by the time you're done preaching to them, I mean, sure, they may not ever ask you another question in your lifetime, but at least you've sown the seed. You cast the anchor and let somebody know. Folks, I can tell you this, when people get in trouble, they are going to look for somebody like you that knows God. Daniel didn't get, he didn't get invited to every party in the Babylonian kingdom. But when the finger of a man's hand did appear to Belshazzar, they looked for him. You may not get invited to every social gathering here in Nebraska. But the moment they say, it's terminal, you've got six months to live. Or that marriage is falling apart and there's no way it's going to last. Or, or life has totally shipwrecked. They're going to say, don't you go to one of them churches. that say they believe in miracles. And I'll pull you aside and talk to you. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. When the finger of a man's hands appear. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you that your word is so powerful in our lives. God, please forgive us where we... Maybe we've not honored and esteemed your word as we should. Those places or moments in our lives where we have doubted what you have placed in scripture. Father, forgive us. We repent. Cleanse us of your blood right now. But God, give us a strong faith. Help us to believe your word. Give us a mouth to speak your word to whomever will listen to us so that they will know 
rather than following this culture, and all of its whims and fads and trends that change all the time, we're going to stick with the word of God that has been sure for thousands of years. These things, O oh God, we do pray for in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said,